I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Well, we're focusing on dangerous new drugs and some of the old ones as well. Now, we've been hearing a lot about overdose deaths increasing. We've seen a lot going on in our communities. Maybe you've seen a lot going on right in front of your house or your apartment building or in your neighborhood or in your community. Maybe you have had an issue with substance abuse or somebody in your family has, but the bottom line is there is a lot going on right now. There's a lot out there, and we really need to know what we're dealing with so that you can keep yourself safe, keep your children, your family members safe, and also understand how you can be supportive in your community. So we have an amazing panel for this show on dangerous new drugs. Each individual that we selected for this show has a unique perspective. They're very accomplished in their fields. So we're going to be able to give you a lot of different perspectives on what is really going on. So joining me is Dr. Indra Sadambi. She's the medical director of the Center for Network Therapy. She is a board-certified psychiatrist and also a double board-certified addiction specialist. Dr. Sadambi, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Lisa. We appreciate it. Also with us is Frank Tarantino. He's a special agent in charge of the DEA New York Division, that's New York City and New York State, the Drug Enforcement Administration. Frank, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Lisa. It's great to join you today. Thank you. Also joining us is Sam Rivera. He's the direct, uh, executive director of On Point NYC. It is the nation's first safe consumption center. He's been involved uh, throughout a, a big part of his life in harm reduction and trying to save lives. Um, Sam, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be here along with the other panelists as well. Thank you. All right, great. So, uh, Dr. Sadambi, I want to I talk with you about this because you have a unique approach to, to treating people with substance abuse issues. But tell us just in the last year or two what people have been coming to your center and coming to you for help with. I've been seeing since the COVID has uh, hit us very badly here, I've been seeing a lot of alcohol issues, like, you know, people don't even think they have an alcohol problem and they come in and say, hey, I'm not able to stop drinking. I have to go back to work. And this has been impacting. Um, that has been seen more and more. And along with that, of course, the, you know, the forgotten baby, the opiate epidemic now has become like out of control. And people have been using all those dangerous substances that's been uh, adulterated with the heroin, fentanyl and stuff like that. So it's such a challenge as a physician because we treat them the way we used to, but then they, we don't see any uh, relief uh, from the anxiety or agitation. And then we go around thinking like, you know, what's going on here? Are we missing something? And they don't even have a mental health issues underlying. It's, you know, plain old substance use disorder. But when I understood what has been mixed with those substances, that's been a huge challenge. And uh, that's what I'm facing right now. No, I want to I want to talk about that. Frank Tarantino, the DEA has spoken out on for, for years, and we've been doing interviews with your members and your leadership for for years about this, about the fentanyl, the threat of fentanyl going back to like 2017. We started talking about it. What and you you've also taken a position in terms of trying to educate people throughout the opioid epidemic. But what about the what is happening in terms of the drugs that you see are being trafficked on the streets? So, Lisa, the greatest drug threat that the United States has ever faced is fentanyl. Fentanyl is killing Amer Americans at record rates. 107,735 Americans lost their lives to drug overdoses and poisonings last year alone. And fentanyl is the primary driver of these overdose deaths. And we're seizing fentanyl at 
uh, record rates throughout the United States. Uh, the DEA seized 57 million pills last year, 13,000 pounds of fentanyl across the country. That's 410 million lethal doses taken off our city streets. Here in the New York division, we seized over 2 million fentanyl pills and approximately 2,000 pounds of fentanyl. That's about 72 million lethal doses taken off the streets of New York. And we're seeing this play out across our country, and it's a devastating, catastrophic event that is uh, changing people's lives every day. 295 people die every single day in the United States from overdoses and poisonings. Oh my gosh, Sam! In terms of the in terms of the opioid epidemic, there were there were people in our urban communities that were saying, "Well, you know what? The, the pill thing is not happening here. Uh, we don't have to." But the fentanyl issue, you know, fentanyl is showing up in heroin. It was a, a big problem. What do you what do you see happening now? Yeah, um, so we're, you know, it's not showing up in the same way, but it's obviously showing up. And it's interesting when you reference the uh, heroin because we're testing the drugs. We're testing street drugs right now. There's no heroin, literally zero heroin. Uh, fentanyl is leading, and then we're having other. And I'll be happy to share some of that information with you. You know, I could send some stuff to you, but we're not seeing heroin at all. In fact. We don't use fentanyl test strips. We haven't been using them since 2018. Um, for us and our our participants, um, a fentanyl test strip is always going to be positive. Uh, we have to look at different people in different ways, right? Black and brown folks who use versus uh, uh, middle-aged white folks who use in certain areas is very, very different. When you talk about pills, that's a very that's another completely, as I'm sure. Uh, 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 our, our friend from the DEA knows it's very different. Young folks using pills in another in another setting in college and things like that. But for us specifically, we are looking at uh, an adulterated supply that is taking out people. Has been mentioned in a way that's fairly that's very shocking. We got about a month and a half. When we were testing our heroin uh, users, our heroin uh, that our users were bringing in. We had a month and a half run. Where we we used to average between five and nine percent fentanyl, which is bad. We had about we had a time when we were 18, 23, as high as 28%. In one bag of someone using, that's immediate death. If they weren't using the OPC, the overdose prevention center, uh, and we weren't there to respond to the overdose literally within seconds, they would have died. Many of these folks. And when we test it and we test the amounts, I want to be also clear. That of these folks, we uh, of the many, many tests we ran, only one person, only one of all, said I won't use. So that 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 pain of them using and needing to use in that moment isn't discouraged by knowing this fentanyl. And knowing so that it, so in other words, the fact that it could kill them, a, a very small amount could kill them, is not a deterrent to using it. We're going to continue this conversation on Street Soldiers. We'll be back right after this. Yo, what up, people? This is Common, and this is the Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people. Only on Hot 9-7. The people, baby. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. A very important one could possibly save the life of somebody you love or your own. We're talking about dangerous new drugs. We have an amazing panel breaking this all down for you right now. Joining us is Dr. Indra Sadambi. She's the medical director of the Center for Network Therapy. She's also a board-certified psychiatrist and double board-certified addiction specialist. Dr. Sadambri, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Lisa. 
We appreciate participants of Frank Tarantino. He's a special agent in charge of the DEA New York Division. That's New York City and New York State. That's and the Drug Enforcement Administration. Frank, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Lisa. It's great to be We appreciate it. Also with us is Sam Rivera. He's the executive director of On Point NYC. It's the nation's first safe consumption center. They work on overdose prevention. Sam, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be here. We appreciate it. Dr. Sadambi, we've seen recent deaths, well, in the last couple of years, and even going back to the first time, I think a lot of people heard about fentanyl was, was with the overdose death of Prince, of the artist Prince. And people were shocked about it. Then we've heard recently um, the death of uh, Coolio was ruled by the L.A. Met County Medical Examiner. It was a combination of drugs, but fentanyl was in the mix. Same thing with the great actor from the HBO's The Wire series, Michael K. Williams. Fentanyl was a component of that. How often are you seeing these combinations of, of these drugs, you know, people having issues using combinations of drugs? So what I see in my practice is like people who come in and they say, hey, I have to go through uh, detoxification from you because I'm experiencing these withdrawal symptoms. And when you do a drug test, uh, what comes out? We come back to them and we say, hey, you have been saying that you're using benzodiazepines, but all I see is fentanyl in here. And that comes as a surprise to them. They say, you know, they start like swearing on everything, like, and they say, I never use this. So we do understand that people are taking substances without even knowing what they are taking. That's very sad to start with. And then for a treatment provider like me, I have to like immediately change gears and see how am I going to help this patient? Because now I have benzodiazepine on board along with, um, you know, the opiates in there, which is a, you know, a very tricky situation. So which one do you want to detox first? You know, so a quick decision. It's not just the book knowledge. You have to be like up and about with them. And that is a huge challenge for us. And then when you do the fentanyl strip test, Sam was uh, earlier talking about, you know, we don't even have to do it. Everybody tests positive for fentanyl, which is true. And you know what is happening more than that fentanyl alone? I, I've been seeing ISO. You know, ISO is the ISO, uh, isoto, uh, night, nitazine. You know, isotonitazine, I'm sorry. That is called as ISO. So it is, it is a potent synthetic drug. You know, what I mean by that, it's 20 to 50% more po powerful than fentanyl. So oh my gosh, and, they say, and they say fentanyl, Frank, they, they, we're, we're told uh, fentanyl is, is about 50 times more powerful from heroin. But let me, let me bring in Frank in here in, in terms of what he's seeing on the streets. With the fentanyl, the, the, we were told, like, initially when it, it first exploded in New York was basically that a couple of grains could, could kill you. If it was if it was one hundred percent pure, but are you seeing these come? Like, can you ever be sure of what's in a drug that you're buying on the street, Frank? So, Lisa, let me just say this: um, two milligrams of fentanyl is lethal. So, what that equates to for the average person is if they were to take a salt shaker and pour between ten and twenty grains of salt into their hand, that's two grant two milligrams, which is lethal. So the amount of lethality that these pills now contain can range from anywhere to two milligrams up to eight milligrams. So we're seeing an increase in lethality in these pills that we're seizing across the country. But I wanna be absolutely crystal clear on this. To understand this problem, we have to know its origin. So Mexico and China are an existential threat to the United States and China is responsible for flooding 
the precursor chemicals into Mexico and into the United States that is responsible for the synthesizing of these fentanyl pills and powder that's ending up on our city streets. So in Mexico, the two most dominant cartels, the Sinaloa and CJG cartels, are the ones that are mass producing fentanyl pills by the hundreds of thousands of millions and the fentanyl powder that's ending up right here in New York City. And, and that powder is being mixed into cocaine and heroin and methamphetamine and all sorts of other types of drugs. And, and that combination is what is causing the uh, significant spike in overdoses and poisonings and deaths that, that we're experiencing. How are, how are people getting these drugs? How are they? And, you know, previous uh, leaders of the DEA have said, well, you know what? We can't arrest our way out of this situation. But it's like, especially when you're talking about pills and things that are much smaller and powders or whatever. How are these getting into, say, for example, the streets of New York City or the cities in New Jersey or the suburbs of New Jersey and Long Island? Yeah. So, Lisa, let me just say this first. I, you know, DEA's mission is to save lives. So what we say is that this is not a war on drugs. This is a fight to save lives. So every single day we are committed to going after the most significant drug traffickers and drug trafficking organizations, in this case, the Sinaloa and CJG cartels that are flooding the United States with these pills, right? So what we look at is how can we disrupt that supply chain? How can we hold those people accountable? And in, in the investigations that we have ongoing throughout the New York division are uh, significant and, uh, in some cases, uh, global investigations that will have a significant impact, uh, not just here in New York, but throughout the world. Um, the, the types of drugs that we're seizing are uh, oftentimes fentanyl pills right from Mexico or fentanyl powder right from Mexico. Oftentimes, we're seizing crystal meth right from Mexico. Uh, these these cartels are motivated by one thing and one thing, and that is profit. It's a half a trillion dollar a year business. They're all about making money. So they do not care at all about the lethality in their pills. They are looking to drive addiction, to make more money, and to increase their customer base. So what they do is they flood the market. They use every single transportation method humanly possible, body carriers, transportation through mail plus toys we've seen correct you, you you can use your imagination and anything you can hide something in they're using it uh tractor trailers um motor vehicle parts um through through the mail system um through uh the uh, over the water you know any any way imaginable this is what the cartels are doing and they're trying to get their their poison onto the city streets and in into uh, the most vulnerable's hands. And that's the other really dangerous thing that we're experiencing today. And that's the social media uh, explosion and the weaponizing of social media by the cartels. So the cartels are selling their poison on every single platform that we can imagine. Snapchat, uh, YouTube, Facebook Messenger, uh, Instagram, anything that our young people have access to, they are now fingertips away from a drug dealer. So the drug trafficking that we once knew in the city streets, on the, in the dark alleys, late at night, is now in your pocket. It's in your home. It's it's everybody's, uh, um, you know, every, every responsible adult and or parent's worst nightmare because these drug traffickers are constantly trying to reach out and, and touch these these young people and try to get their attention so that they can sell their poison to them. So they're predators. And uh, this is uh, calculated treachery by the cartels to increase addiction. 
All right, but that and and the the on the addiction point, Doctor Sadambi, the is if you use if you use these drugs like a like a fentanyl or something with fentanyl in it, do you become immediately addicted? Have you or do you think we're getting we have more people who have substance abuse addictions than ever before? Yes, yes, it is because of the COVID isolation. So more and more, they didn't have enough support system. The Alcoholic Anonymous was non-existing in the beginning of. Um, the COVID era, and so many treatment providers were not accessible for these people. And so eventually they have turned to these drugs to cope, and also living with the family, you know, um, locked up in the same house was not easy for them. So it becomes a positive coping mechanism. Um, so that's what you've been seeing. But, but is there a reason, is, is there a, re I'm sorry to cut you off, but is there a reason that people use drugs or is it just because when you're high, it, they want to get high and it feels good or they're in pain and trying to escape pain. Is there one, is there like a predominant reason? So one size does not fit all. So there are people who are like trying to self-medicate because they have the mental health issues. And so they want to feel better. They don't want to have that anxiety. And, you know, we are not giving them proper medication to address their anxiety. And so post-acute withdrawal, you just do the detox and you send them home, but then they are not feeling good under the skin. And they try and they try, you know, not to point finger at people who are suffering with this illness. And eventually they give in to, okay, this is the only thing that's going to save me. And so they self-medicate. Some people do it just because they love to get high. You know, that's also a you know, factor, but not majority of them. And then there are also people who uh, knowingly get into this, like the doctor prescribed pain medication and they don't know it's going to become a habit forming, um, you know, issue later on. And then they get into this rut and there are people who just take press pills. They don't even know. They're thinking they're taking a medication and, but only to find out that it had fentanyl in there. You know, that's really, you know, robbing, you know, for those patients who come. Well, it sounds like fentanyl's in pretty much everything right now. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after this with more of Street Soldiers and the dangerous new drugs. Stay with us. What it do, what it do, man. It's your boy Roscoe Dash. And this is the Street Soldier with Lisa Evers, man. Real issues, real politics, real people. Only on Hot 97. Let's do it. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers on Dangerous New Drugs. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Joining us for this conversation, Dr. Indra Sadambi. She's the medical director of the Center for Network Therapy. Also with us is Frank Tarantino. He's a special agent in charge of the DEA New York Division. And also joining us is Sam Rivera. He's executive director of On Point NYC, the nation's first uh, safe consumption centers. Sam, in terms of the, it, is it safe to say that pretty much everything that people are, are coming to you with has fentanyl in it? Yes, everything but marijuana. Um, and then outside, people don't use marijuana. Uh, but we've been hearing these things, uh, and I want to make that clear first. Uh, and, and maybe, I don't know if Frank, I'm hoping Frank says no, but we haven't seen it in marijuana at all. So I want to be clear about that because too many people, they're using it as a scare tactic, thinking it's a, it's a gateway drug, et cetera. But yes, yes, not only are we seeing it, we're seeing it at dangerously high levels. Um, and, and too many people are, in, my, in, in our work, we're seeing beyond our work, excluding themselves from it. As the doctor was mentioning earlier, you know, they don't think, some people don't know they're using it. Some people want to deny they're using it. Um, and for us, we want people to believe they're using it so that they're ready and prepared. Um, as we work with people, one of, you know, one of the things I want to say quickly is all of the participants we have in our program, all of them, have been to detox and treatment because people say, well, send them to detox and treatment. These are folks who are using now. 
We, have, we want to do everything possible to keep them alive, right? That's what we want to do. In the intro, we're in a very dangerous time as far as the, the drug supply. Um, and there's no one way it's coming in and working, as, as, as Frank mentioned earlier. It's a very, very challenging time. On the street, people are dying at extremely high rates. And we want to use every approach to address this. Our approach is one way uh, that, that's been working throughout the world for 36 years. Um, but using multiple approaches and awareness and, and what you're doing right now is powerful. Um, and, and I'm glad that you have us on here where you can get multiple perspectives on this. But getting ahead of this, especially for folks who don't think they're part of it, is very, very important. Yeah. But, and then, Frank, Frank, in terms of some of the drugs we've been hearing about, this this trank, the animal, the animal tranquilizer, I don't know what the proper name is. Is for it. Are you seeing more of that? Because supposedly that can't be. There's no. You can't use a, a Narcan against that. Yeah. So what we're seeing is xylazine has become more prominent uh, throughout the United States. We're seeing it. We actually seized it in 48 out of the 50 states, uh, South Dakota and Wyoming exempt at this point. But but we're seizing it at uh, increased levels across the United States here in New York. We're seizing it uh, more often. So the the national statistic is that 23% of our, all the powder that we're seizing, uh, fentanyl powder that we're seizing, has xylazine mixed in it. And that's what was called extremely. And just so everyone is on board with what or is can hear understand what you're saying. So xylazine is what's what's also called in slang trank, right? Right. The street name for for xylazine is trank. And xylazine, what xylazine is 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 a non-opioid sedative analgesic that is a um uh used by veterinaries in and veterinary clinics across the country um for obviously for animals and not for human consumption this is something that the cartels are utilizing to increase their profit margins it's also a distribution level uh street level distribution um choice by the drug trafficker to mix in xylazine and cocaine and meth and and then also in fentanyl. So here in New York, what we're seeing is uh, roughly since January of 2023, uh, 15% of all of our drug exhibits now have xylazine in it. Uh, of those 15%, 84% of those exhibits contain uh, fentanyl and xylazine. So we're seeing a very toxic poisonous mixture of fentanyl and xylazine. And to your point, xylazine is is a non-opioid. So when you use naloxone or Narcan in this case to bring somebody out of a overdose state from fentanyl that now has xylazine mixed in it, it will not work on xylazine. Also, so, gosh. So, so yeah. when we talk about the lethality of fentanyl, fentanyl is the most dangerous illicit drug on the market today. Mixing in xylazine makes it even more deadly. Well, yes, Dr. Sadambi, in terms of what the, like when people say, we say you overdose and you, some people can survive an overdose, thank God. But what, what does it, what does it do to your body? Like what do you just stop breathing and then everything just shuts down or like, let's say you get one of these drugs and it has a fentanyl or it has a xylazine in it. What happens to your body physically? So what happens with xylazine? First and foremost, as Frank uh, was mentioning, it is uh, a tranquilizer. So it is also a pain reliever, and it's also a sedative. That's the most important thing. So why do they even add xylazine to the mix? You know, when you have fentanyl and heroin, this right. is the underlying thing. Just to understand, heroin gives you a high, but then when they add fentanyl to that, the high is, you know, predominant, and they love it, but it doesn't last longer. 
So they want that height to prolong a little longer. So that's why xylazin has been added. So just to understand, why are we mixing xylazin into the mix of already existing heroin and um, you know, fentanyl? So now what happens is it's a, it's a non-opiate. Xylazin is a non-opiate, but it also decreases everything. Like heart rate has gone down, uh, breathing is coming down, like, you know, central nervous depression happens. And exactly like opiate, they're going to, like, have uh, the uh, overdose and, you know, kind of lose their consciousness and even eventually their respiration arrest. But this is the underlying thing. When we give someone who is overdosed of opiates, we don't know what is in there. Imagine that they have xylazine in that mix. So once you give naloxone to revive them back, you know what is happening is it helps the opiate part of it. So if they did use heroin and fentanyl, it's helping them revive, but they remain sedative for a longer period of time. That is caused by xylazine, the sedative part of it that we are talking about. So the xylazine, typically, as Frank mentioned, it's used by the veterinarians to sedate big animals like cows and, you know, uh, horses. And so here we are, you know, we're taking the small dose of xylazin. And why are they mixing this? It's because between $6 to $20, you can buy a kilogram of xylazine. So it's so inexpensive. And they mix it up and it is so deadly. You know, we have been seeing one in five, one in 10 dying because of the xylazine mix in there. And, um, you know, it's, we call this a trank dope, even though it's a non-opiate. You know, right. so that is how we address this. Frank, I mean, obviously, if you're a drug dealer, you don't, we, and we're not encouraging this by any means, but people have seen plenty of shows and some of the most popular ones in our, in our community, but they are about that. But you don't want your, you don't want your customer to die. You want your customer to keep using, but what are you seeing in terms of that? So Lisa, first, uh, Dr. Sandambi and Sam raised some really great points. And what I would like to say is that this is a business. I said it earlier, I'll say it again. This is a criminal network that operates like a criminal version of Amazon. All they are motivated by is profits. And so any way that they can increase their customer base and increase addiction, increasing addiction means that people want more of their product. And so when you think about the fentanyl that's being mixed in in Mexico and then uh, sold on our city streets, we're, we're talking about something that is the most addictive uh, drug on the street today. And it's also a shift from the plant-based drug trafficking model that we've seen in play out for the last three or four or five or 10 decades, right? What we're seeing now is more of a man-made synthetic drug like fentanyl and or nitazine or xylazine that, you're, that we're now talking about. And so these drug traffickers are motivated by the money. And so if they can mix in xylazine to increase that high and make that high last even longer, then they can attract more customers. And then they benefit greatly from the fact that there's a there's an increase in survivability, potentially, if they're decreasing the amount of fentanyl that's in their product. So this is, again, a street-level dealer's choice to mix in xylazine to, again, increase their customers to want more of their product. And I would just say that you know the DEA uh, across the country utilizes and ensures that every single agent carries naloxone with them. Uh, we train on it frequently and we ensure that the agents always have that with them for their safety and for the safety of the people that they encounter. And so this is this is a global effort uh, by the DEA. The DEA has three primary objectives right now. One is to defeat the cartels. The second thing we're trying to do is increase awareness uh, and elevate 
the uh, attention and and on this issue and to uh, make, educate people on the dangers that are out there and, and to ensure that we are taking an active role in the uh, health and safety of our Americans. And then the final thing is, is that we're trying to uh, increase access to medical assisted treatment. Uh, every single practitioner in the United States today has access to this, and this is a, a noticeable change in, in, the, in the recent months. And this is DEA's effort to uh, take a holistic approach at driving down drug-related violence and drug overdoses. Now, Dr. Sadambi, in, in terms of the addiction issue, some people say, well, you know what, America is, is all about drugs. There's ads for legal drugs. There's a drug as a solution for pretty much every single problem uh, that that you have. Is Is there a certain type of of psychological profile or emotional profile of somebody who's more vulnerable to becoming ad addicted? So addiction is a chronic disease. So, uh, you know, when I say chronic disease, think about diabetes, high blood pressure. It's no different from any of those chronic illnesses. There is a genetic predisposition. There is a psychological impact to that. And it's also so social, you know, factors which add up to uh give rise to addiction. So anyone today can get addicted to any kind of substances, including alcohol and like, you know, so we are not going to profile somebody and say, this person is going to become addicted to substances because, you know, there is a in the multitude of factors which come together. Having said that, what can be done to really, you know, prevent people from getting into this deadly behaviors of, you know, experimenting with... What can, what can be done? A lot can be done. A lot can be done. We are... If we are really focusing on how dangerous the drug is, what we can do to, you know, revive those people when we, you know, are already in the midst of uh, the chaos. But to the younger kids today, what can the parent do? They can really give them a very stable environment. Starting, if you really look at it, outside of America, very first thing that they do is turn on the music in the morning. So the neurons in the brain gets really hit by those decibels of music. And there is a music therapy that will support what I'm saying today. When you get into that music, like there are ragas in the, in the Asian culture, morning raga, afternoon ragas, night ragas, that really helps people with mental illnesses to calm down the nerves. It's not a pill for everything. Every symptom cannot be addressed with a pill. Right. There's and, other things that can be, other things that can be done. Absolutely. Right, and hobbies. And hobbies, you know? Right. Life. Like, choosing life. Heaven, right. But if you don't know what's there, and you grow up in a place that's under-resourced, and you don't know there's not that many options. It's a, it's a whole different thing. We're going to take a short break. We're coming back with more of Street Soldiers on the dangerous new drugs. Stay with us. Yeah, yeah. What up, what up, what up? This is Styles Peter Ghost, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people. Only on Hot 97. Yeah, Ghost told you so. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers on the dangerous new drugs. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Joining us for this episode, Dr. Indra Sadanvi. She's a medical director at the Center for Network Therapy, board-certified psychiatrist, double board-certified addiction specialist. Also with us is Frank Tarantino. He's a special agent in charge with the DEA New York Division. Also joining us is Sam Rivera. He's the executive director of On Point NYC. It is an overdose, uh, the overdose prevention centers. Um, and we're talking about what can actually be done to save lives. Dr. Sadambi, what can people do? Are there things that they can be doing with their loved ones, with their family members, with their friends, to discourage the chance that they'll be exposed to these these types of drugs and become addicted to them. Embrace addiction as a chronic disease. 
work on the stigma, ask for treatment at the appropriate time, and really like look at this as an illness, not as a behavioral or a moral failure here. That's the most important thing that I want to drive into the viewer's mind. And it's not a deadly thing. If your loved one has this illness, it's not a de dead wish. They can have a quality of life. If you are going to catch it, you know, those are red warning symptoms like you can look for and you can give a beautiful life for those who are suffering from this illness. Uh, Medication-assisted treatment is the way to go. So some people do think and they talk about, um, oh, why should I be replacing one drug for the other? And those kind of, uh, you know, mixed messages can be really clar clarified by going into this website called SAMHSA, S-A-M-S-H-A. And that is a, you know, legit website, government site where you can get any kind of education about any new drugs and or the existing ones. And even the treatment providers, you can definitely pick up the phone and talk to um, American Society of Addiction Medicine in the state of New Jersey. We do have, I have been a president there. You can pick up the phone and talk to us and we will guide you guys. And there's a lot of help. Sam, in terms of the lives that you've you've saved at, at On Point with your staff and with your with your medical team, do you see people that go like once they've gone through that, they're like never again? Like, have you seen people actually seek treatment beyond that and then, you know, deal, deal with this illness of substance abuse? Yes, um, a, a number of people uh, who have come through our program, especially when we start to talk to them. When I ask a person, why do you use? They, they use very negative terms. I'm lazy. I'm a junkie. I'm the loser in the family. I'm this. We talk to them about why. Let's 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 get into why. We have a mental health component to our program. Let's talk about why. What's at the core of your use? See, you asked a very important question before. How do we impact this? We have to go way back, Lisa. We have to go back to allowing a safe space for our children in schools and in other places to be able to come to school or come to a center or anyone and say what's happening at home without criminalizing it, right? Many people are scared to talk about it because then you lose your children and you lose your parents. You know, we I asked a young kid recently, uh, why didn't you ever talk about it? And like, I went to school and they told me if my parents are doing this um, and I tell them my parents are going to prison and I, I'll have to go to foster care, right? So we have to really rethink those systems. You know, these are systems that really contradict each other in so many ways. So, so, so people are finding themselves unable to create a safe space. I just had a conversation with a recent announcement that they're guaranteeing a mental health professional one at every public school in New York City. One, what would, what would that do? Where's the system and the safety for young folks, for all folks to be able, even in, in jobs and employment, can you go to your employer? No, employees want to drug test you. So how can you talk openly and safely and be able to say, I have an, I, I'm dealing with an issue. I want to address this, right? We saw this with COVID, people working at home, being able to use safely uh, in whatever capacity that is, because they didn't have to report at work. But I want to answer your question. Many of, again, as I mentioned before, 100% of our participants have been to detox and treatment multiple times. So, so, and I'm not saying detox and treatment doesn't work. What we know is people have to attend numerous times before and if they ever get to a space where they can get 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 uh, uh, into recovery, if that's what. OK, I'm going to I'm going to give Dr. Sudevi a chance to re respond to that in, in, in a second. But first, I want to I want to bring in Frank. Frank, in terms of the, in terms of the messages, there there's some parents who have lost children to fatal drug overdoses 
that just say that our our society as a whole, and not to point fingers, but we're just there's all kinds of very confusing mixed messages for young people, and especially in certain they see they see other people taking drugs and not facing any kind of consequences. They see people the selling drugs. Every community had you know they know who's the who's the person in their school that that has them. And the, they see the, you know, we have this huge issue in New York City with with the smoke shops, which some residents say they're selling more than, you know, they're definitely not selling, they're definitely selling more than para paraphernalia. It's where they get their weed, and now they're starting to sell other things, apparently, as well, according to what residents are telling us. But are we, are we not making clear messages here? So, Lisa, I, I would just say that the DEA is extremely laser-focused on the education awareness and prevention side of this issue. Um, the DEA issued three separate public safety alerts in the last uh, 18 months. Um, we started with fentanyl and we just sent out another public safety alert on xylazine. The DEA has initiated a public awareness campaign with One Pill Can Kill. You can go on to dea.gov backslash one pill and find all of our material that educates the um, Educators around the world, the caregivers, the parents, people in positions of authority can go onto these sites and have honest, genuine conversations with our young people about these dangers that exist that are lurking uh, behind a cell phone screen. And and honestly, this is something that it's going to take every single one of us to um, be all in on to, to make a difference. This is an impact that we can all share in, but it's also something that I feel very strongly about as a parent of three children. I don't believe that it is safe to use. I believe that that the risks is the risk is too high. The danger and the consequences are too great. When we're talking about ad campaigns that say it's okay to use, just use in a safe place. I think that, or just use fentanyl test strips, it'll be okay. I think we're sending uh, mixed signals because the fentanyl test strips, although may use um, uh, used properly, may have uh, a, a impact on whether or not somebody uses the drug. Um, it's a little bit more complicated than that. If we're talking about testing a fentanyl pill, you have to dissolve that pill into water or completely crush that pill in a way that you can test all of the pill. You can't just break off a piece and test a little bit of the pill for it to give you the positive or negative response that you're looking for. The, the drugs that we test across our nine laboratories in, in the DEA uh, are utilizing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars worth of equipment, scientific equipment, and it's staffed with chemists and scientists and, and lab technicians that understand how to test these drugs. So you're saying the, so you're saying the civilian testing, testing of, of fentanyl is not reliable? I'm saying that, that it, if used responsibly, it, it can help. It's, an, it's a tool, but I wouldn't use it at, exclusively as a method to uh, make absolutely certain that what you're taking is safe. Um, I think it is a false security blanket to assume that just because you use a fentanyl test strip that your drug that you're about to inject is fentanyl free. Sam, I see that there's urn. Sam, Sam, what about the what about the drug testing? Do you guys do you guys do some drug testing right at the center or no? Yes, we have a mass spectrometer. We have a spectrometer that we're using with the Department of Health. They actually facilitate the testing at our sites. Uh, so it's not a fentanyl test strip. This is deeper. This is, is able to identify a multitude of drugs. Has to be at least 5%, uh, but that's what we're using. So it's very different. And and it's not 
just a test trip or a test. We don't, as I mentioned before, we don't use test trips. Uh, we're using a mass spectrometer. Uh, we don't need much to test. We need very, very little residue, and we're able to test the drugs in that way. Um, and again, I just want to say this very quickly. We are working with folks who are using already. If we don't create a space for those folks to use safely, the, the deaths in New York and the deaths in this country are only going to rise. Even last year, with the great success we had in two programs, averting hundreds of lives, averting hundreds of overdose deaths, the numbers still went up. So if we look at a system that prevents programs like mine running, the, the number of deaths are only going to increase. So in the interim, this is an, a very important service. It's not the place to come to learn how to use. It's not that at all. It's not a place where people are enabled. But you also, have a place where the, it's, you also have a place where there's there's help available and also the kid, they're not using in front of children or kids coming home from school exactly. or in some and doorway or hallway or anything. provide array of services. I'll say very quickly, mental health services, low threshold medical services, uh, mat treatment, uh, food and nutrition, uh, I mean, showers and, 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 and laundry service that we provide. You know, I want to come and do a story on that, but let me, let me bring in Dr. Stan. you to come by for sure. Definitely. Dr. Sadambi, in terms of the, I think the question a lot, a lot of people have too, and, and you, you, this is your life's work. If somebody has a, once you have a substance, once you have a substance abuse, well, you say it's an illness, but once you are addicted, let me just use a street, you know, street term. Once you're addicted to drugs, if you become clean or you, what you have treatment and then you become fully functioning in society and in, in your life or whatever, whatever the measure is for success, are you, can you stay that way? Can you, can you stay that way for the rest of your life? However long that is. Yes, it is a possibility because we do see people who are working in this industry, substance use disorder. There are therapists who have been sober for sober, meaning clean from any of these substances past 30 years, 35 years, not had one lapse Relapses like continuously going on using lapses like one time use and then kind of catch themselves, right? Not even a lapse. So if they can do it, everyone else who's watching this can do it. I just want to drive this important information. This is a disease and we need to be in treatment. So sending somebody inpatient is not a solution for everybody. You cannot isolate them in terms of, I'm going to give them treatment. Not everyone matches that thing. Like, you know, some people might need inpatient treatment, but it's a chronic disease. Understand this. And, you know, first step will be to get this outpatient detoxification. As Sam was mentioning, I was like raising my hand to answer that. You know, Sam was right on the money, you know. So if someone is going to get the detoxification, that's not the treatment. It's only a safe, you know, way of stopping what they are using. That's the number one step. Once they are safely able to stop it, the next step is the partial care, where there is a nurse who is taking care of their post-acute withdrawal symptoms, their psychiatric illnesses, which shoot up at that point in time. And, you know, those things are being like addressed. And then they step down to an intensive outpatient treatment, which is like a 90-day treatment. 90 days, if you really look at it, the brain kind of comes to a point where it has stopped producing dopamine. This is the first time they're going to feel that they have some pleasure. One year benchmark, they are able to like, you know, produce a little bit of more dopamine, which is a pleasure hormone, and they are able to, you know, appreciate what, what has been given to them. Three years, 
I want to mention it again, highlighted in three years of being sober from all substances, that brain can function as any other brain which has got no other um, you know, addictive illness. Oh, so the, the, bottom, the bottom line is that there is, there is hope. I want to thank all three of you for being with us uh, for this important episode of Screen Soldiers. Uh, Dr. Indra Sidambi, Frank Tarantino, and Sam Rivera, thank you so much for joining us for, for Screen Soldiers. And thank you for joining us. I'm Lisa Evers. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. Let's push for peace, love, and justice for all.